I'm Matt Valley, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of research and insights pros that you trust. Today's guest is Jenny Finnerty, Vice President of Qualitative Research at the human-centered business and growth strategy firm called MAGID, that's M-A-G-I-D, MAGID, uh, where she has spent the last uh, about 12 years, right? Yeah. Uh, now, I know that Jenny is a super pro when it comes to qualitative because we actually worked together for a couple of those years. That's right. Yeah. So I've seen Jenny in action and she's great, I must say. Um, but something I didn't know about her is this really fascinating and inspiring backstory that I'm super excited that uh, Jenny's going to share with us today on the podcast and more. So welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to sharing my story. Absolutely. I'm super excited that, uh, that you uh, are willing to tell your story. And of course, it's great to see you and, and catch up as well. So definitely. Excellent. Well, let's, uh, let's start by talking research. So how did you first get into the world of research? And uh, let's hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So Qualitative research, I feel like, is always a little bit of a not straight pathway. It seems like almost everyone I talk to has a different pathway into qualitative research, and mine is no different. Um, I, was, I was an anthropology major in college, which I loved, by the way, just studying culture, studying the motivation, studying why people do what they do. And I remember my parents saying, well, that's great, but what are you going to do with that? <laughs> and at the time, I was like, I don't know. And even when I was uh, graduating, when I was done swimming, which we'll get to in a moment, I still kind of didn't know what I was going to do. Um, luckily, I had a good friend who also graduated with me with an anthropology degree. And she's like, you know, do this thing called qualitative research. I think you would like it. And the rest is history. I kind of found out about it, learned about what she was doing, interviewed at some companies, and here I am. <laughs> oh, great, great. So how, how did you find Baggett? Yeah, really kind of, again, randomly, my my friend mentioned a few, I had just moved to the LA area and my friend mentioned a few different research companies here in the LA area, Magid being one of them. And so kind of just, you know, landed there, so to speak. They were the one that offered me the job. Very cool. Um, so, so one other question for you on this, because I'm just curious, because the same thing kind of happened to me. You know, I fell into market research and a lot of people did. Uh, was there a particular moment at which you realized, wow, this really is cool and this is for me? It was very fast. I kind of feel like when I was first interviewing, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And then as soon as I started and met the colleagues that I'd be working with and hearing about the, the research that they were doing, it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this job existed. I had no idea that this would this I could do this for for my career. So it was very like very soon after I started that I realized like yes, this is this is awesome. Like I had no idea that I could do something that I feel so passionate about every single day. Yeah, really cool. Excellent. All right. So so you mentioned you you fell into it by accident, of course, uh, because you were on a different path in terms of your passions before you discovered research. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so I started my career a little bit later than a lot of my friends that I graduated with. Um, that's because me and I'm an, I have an identical twin sister. We were competitive, well, at the time synchronized swimmers, now it's called artistic swimming. So we both started 
guess joined a team when we were in fifth grade, swam mm -hmm. all throughout high school, went to college, swam. You can do artistic swimming for your college. We did not go to a school where they offered it, but we swam for a club team okay. while going to school. Once we graduated, we wanted to keep on swimming. Um, at that point, I was on the national team. We both tried out to be on the Olympic team, made it to the Olympic training squad. My sister actually made it to be Beijing. She competed for the United States in Beijing in 2008. And I was on the training squad to train for Beijing also in 2008. Didn't make the team. So I retired from swimming after that and then started my real job, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow. So. So tell us a little bit about the, the choice to, to start out in this field, artistic swimming. Um, you know, it, it, was, uh, it, it, was a perfect, it was a perfect sport. You know, you try out everything when you're little, you know, some things stick, some things don't. My dad's a swimmer and both my sister and I love to swim. We were the kind that we still had a record player at the time and we would dance around and make up little dances in the living room or in the family room. My mom would be like, stop dancing. You're making the record skip. <laughs> so we you know, had that passion for swimming and for dancing early on. And then my dad one day was just kind of out of the blue, like, you know what you should try? <laughs> There's this sport that involves swimming and dancing that I think you would love. And it, it, it was a match made in heaven. Like we were one of those sports like you can again you try so many different things when you're little and some you're good at some you're not so good at and this was one of those like oh my gosh this is something that we were both really good at something that was super fun i love to swim but i found lap swimming really boring <laughs> i was on some some teams and i was like this is great but just swimming back and forth is not <laughs> not my style yeah. so the creativity of it all and um and it was fun, like just like any team sport, you get to meet other girls, you're competing with them, you're, you know, you're striving for new things. Every year it's new routines. So there's that, it never got boring because it was always, uh, you know, different routines or even different partners. I always, I always swim in duet, of course, with my sister, but different trio partners or different team partners. And yeah, it was, it was something that I still feel so passionate about and still, still love and honestly made me who I am today. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's great. Um, how much of a, just out of curiosity, how much of a time commitment is that when you are, you know, going for the national team and, and trying to compete? Um, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, we, when we were training, we would do some training at like the Olympic training centers um, throughout some of the national teams I was on. And we would always joke with the triathletes, like who compete, who is training more. And there was definitely no one else at the training center that was training any more than us and the triathletes. Yeah. When we were at the pool, we would get there when like the morning speed swimmers were practicing and start, start our training. And then we would train all day. And then the morning speed swimmers would become afternoon speed swimmers and come back for their second workout. We were still at the pool training the whole time. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a long time in the water and then you have extra conditioning, strength training, gymnastics training, all of that after after your pool hours are done. Yeah, wow, wow, really interesting. And just curious, what were some of your favorite places to go? Yeah, so um, I feel like there are positive memories about almost every single place that I went to. Um, two that stand out. I got to go with my high school, well, it wasn't my high school team, but it was the team I was, the club I was swimming with when I was in high school. We got to go to a competition in Finland. Um, so we went, oh, cool. to, we went to London, we went to Finland. And I just felt like the, not only the experience of being able to travel there as a high schooler and be able to like 
you know, see, see the Europe or not that we saw Europe, we saw two, two, two countries, two cities in Europe, but to be able to do that as a high schooler, but, but also just the, like, um, to go to Helsinki specifically, like that wouldn't necessarily be, and still probably wouldn't be like, oh, I know where I want to go. I want to go to Europe and I want to visit Helsinki, but it was such a cool experience to meet the other athletes. It was during like a big swim, you know, there were divers, there were swimmers, big swim kind of competition there to kind of open my eyes up to like what it was like to swim in other countries to represent the United States. That was a very like, I don't know, kind of like a gateway experience to like, oh yes, I want to do more of this. I want to keep doing this type of thing. Yeah. Did, so that stands you, out. Did you feel like any sense of responsibility uh, sort of carrying the USA on your, on your back? Totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, um, we already, you know, of course had, you know, it was in the summer. So we had the, the, the swim season, the artistic swimming season, is kind of at its peak spring and summer. So it was like, you know, at the peak slash winding down at the, 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 the height of our season. So we were feeling prepared, absolutely. Like we had been working on our teams all season. We were, um, we were ready to go, but it was, yeah, it was a totally different pressure versus competing in the United States. And even like at a national competition where it's like still like the highest competition you can get to, you wanna do your best. You've been training all year for this moment. It was like an added, added level of pressure but not like a stressful pressure it was like an inspirational pressure like something that you're like oh yeah i can do this and i can i can live up to this and i can represent our country like it's you know feeling very i guess empowered and confident about it and excited yeah and then I, we went to australia for um for worlds one year um the competition was in melbourne but then my sister and i stayed afterwards and visited other cities in australia and the competition itself was fine. <laughs> I remember little bits and pieces, but I so yeah. loved being able to go to Australia. It was one of my all-time favorite places to visit, and I'd go back in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, do you still have some involvement in the sport? I definitely follow it. You know, this past summer was amazing to be able to watch it in the games, of course. I was coaching for a while here in LA. Um, then my two boys were born, and now we do baseball and soccer and all sorts of other things. So I don't really have time to coach anymore, unfortunately. But Definitely still follow it. Definitely still rooting for the United States. Uh, still recognize some of the names of the up and coming swimmers. I had coached some of them. Um, now oh, most cool. of those swimmers are now retired too, but <laughs> it's fun to follow. Oh, that's great. Well, having something like that, that you put so much time and energy into before your career, I would imagine you've taken lessons uh, from that experience that you've applied in your your day-to-day -day work life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it definitely formed, you know, the basis for who I am, why I'm successful. I guess maybe they go hand in hand. I don't think you can be a successful athlete unless you have that drive and determination. Like that's become clear as a coach and as a swimmer. But those lessons are tr very transferable to my professional life as well. I mean, at a very like basic level, time management, organization, prioritization. I even found that when I was in high school and in college, I mean, there were only certain hours of the day. I had to train a certain amount of time. I had to do schoolwork. So it was, you know, really making sure that you're managing your time well and getting the things done that need to be done. I think at a kind of more, I guess maybe not professional level or just kind of a job level, things like, you know, confidence, um, trying your best, striving, problem solving, working with others on a team, listening. Um, you know, there are so many kind of team skills that I feel like are very transferable right. to just a successful business job. But then then also I feel like the, um, I guess if I can put my finger on it, like that 
that being being shoved down but working at it anyways and you know things are not always smooth sailing they weren't when i was training they're not always every single day of my professional career either but being able to work around that being able to problem solve keeping a cool head even if the world of around you feels like you know things are falling apart and who knows what's happening and this project is going this way and this is happening here but nope we're just going to make it happen one foot in front of the other um that confidence to just keep going and to you know to make it work you know the, the determination to make things work i guess all, all of those things i i feel like i learned from artistic swimming yeah you know it makes it makes so much sense to me now that you have this background from our time working together I, I mean, you get those busy periods, like in qualitative, right? You get those busy periods and you have to be involved in all of the work and it's gotta be extremely difficult to manage through that, but you always seem to have a cool head and be able to get everything accomplished. It was, yeah, now, now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what my colleagues always say. They're like, I would never guess that like you're stressed or that you're worried or that you're concerned about things. I mean, if I get really concerned, yes, I will ask for help. And yes, I'll lean on my teams to help support me and all of that. But there's also just a matter of like, well, it'll get done. We'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Cool. Um, so you're in the trenches every day, right? And I know, obviously, with the pandemic, particularly with the qualitative, qualitative side of the industry, so much has changed because it went sort yeah. of from face-to-face to online and I'm um, just curious to know what you're seeing and maybe what's emerging in terms of what's important in qualitative research. Absolutely. Well, I will say that I I feel like at Maggot and myself personally, we're really, really on the forefront of some of our online methodologies. You know, obviously with the pandemic, we pivoted and had to go exclusively online and many projects are still exclusively online. Right. But we were already doing all of the online things. Yes, we've innovative, we've been innovating on those and we've been improving them and making them even better. But we already we were we were lucky in that we already had that base to work from. We were already doing online focus groups, we were already doing online communities, we were already thinking about what the future of research could look like, even just from an efficiency standpoint and less travel and time on the road spent and being able to talk to, you know, the national sample more efficiently and effectively in a time in a time in a, in a way that made sense for the time that we have so so i feel like the trend was already there but you're absolutely right COVID accelerated that and you know all, a lot of our clients now are in no hurry to go back to the daily grind of being in the back room of being on the road a new market every every day simply because we found a lot of really good solutions in qual that can be done online and honestly in some cases even better online you know like i said with that national sample that you can talk to with being efficient right. with online communities and giving participants that think time to really you know respond to a question and then think about the topic maybe even they go experience the topic for a couple of days and then that product or that service whatever it is and then come back and tell you about it i mean that's just the luxury you don't have if you're only in dallas for two days you know so, right. so we've been really able to pivot and and take advantage of those online communities and I, on a broader scale, I feel like that is because of the world we live in that is changing so quickly. Qual research is as important now, if not more so than it's ever been. You know, huge landscape changes are happening with the media industry, with CPG, with online ordering, with delivering, with all of those things. And we've got to be talking to consumers and seeing what they're thinking about it. What are those pain points? So, so we know what's happening next so we can talk to our clients about that. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because it, it really seems like qualitative has kind of vaulted to the forefront.
forefront. Actually, I've been feeling that for a while because um, so much of what you learn from qualitative is more strategic, let's say, than a lot of quantitative yeah. research. Um, that's not a blanket rule, but it, it kind of leans that way. But but certainly, uh, with everything that's happened, it's that depth that you know you have to get below the surface uh, in understanding consumers to figure out you know what's next. You're right. Their their motivations, their their um, their behaviors, why they're doing what they're doing, what what how they're reacting to all the changes. I mean, streaming services are a perfect example. What are what are consumers thinking about the proliferation of streaming, and how are they responding? And are they just going to keep subscribing to all these services? What what is their perspective on it all? And you're right. You can get those numbers, and you can understand. Okay, well, how many services are they subscribing to? How much are they paying? But you really don't get those behaviors and those deeper set emotions about the changes and where the future is going. Just just by quant alone, you have to marry that with some qual. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so so this is a podcast, right, Jenny? So uh, podcast is just one form of media. I'm I'm kind of curious, especially with your background and everything. Sort of curious. Um, where you turn to, maybe podcasts, maybe not, uh, but other media that you look to for inspiration or enjoyment. Yeah, honestly, podcasts are a lot of what I listen to. Um, I'm busy with the work, I'm a busy mom, but that finding that time at, in the evenings when I'm doing dishes or when I'm going for a jog or whatever are the, are the perfect time to be able to be inspired and to be able to further things that I like to do. So I have a couple podcasts that I love. Um, course I love just kind of those inspirational thought provoking this American life some of um, some of those types of podcasts that are really just like that's a really cool story not necessarily professional I have a, I have a couple of professional ones I've, I've really enjoyed the um, I think CTM does it the thinking out loud just hearing from industry experts and I'm on the global media and entertainment team at Maggot and just hearing kind of those industry experts and their perspectives and feel like it, it it's interesting to hear the industry side of course I hear it from our clients every day but then marry that with the consumer side and seeing where that is married where there are some discrepancies between what our industry experts are saying and what they're doing and then what we're hearing our consumers tell us so I think I think that's really interesting um and a new one that I've recently started listening to so my sister I mentioned that I swim with her for many years we're twins she has been involved in the Accelerate podcast at DU, the Executive um, Business Leadership Program, I believe it is. So I've enjoyed some of those too. That just talks about like trends in business, trends in leadership, some interesting, even just like data visual visualization types of trends that I feel like are applicable for my business. And even just like at a basic level, the reports that I'm right, how I'm delivering the findings that I'm hearing. Right. Okay, cool, cool. Excellent. Uh, a couple new ones for me. So appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So, so, you know, okay, so it is not just a podcast, but it's the rock and roll research podcast. And you've already talked about dancing around the house, <laughs> worrying about skipping records, you know, my record player's right here, so <laughs> I'm still skipping records. <laughs> um, but what I really want to know, what I really want to know, Jenny, is, is if you are stranded on a desert island, like stranded on a desert island, You've got three records of your choice to keep you company for the rest of your days. What would those records be? I will say, I will preface my answer by saying this was the hardest one to answer <laughs> as you gave me all the questions to think about ahead of time. This one required the most thought and I didn't have an immediate answer because for the rest of time is a long time. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Don't wanna be stuck. About, you gotta think right. of different rubrics, right? So, you know. 
portrait from yes. perspective. Anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, so it was very, it was a challenge, but I ultimately landed on REM. It was really hard to even find which record of REM because I'm an REM fan, but I went with the best of because I feel like that was a okay. good. Yeah, it's, it's allowable. It's allowable. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Any particular songs on the best of that you'll skip? To? So I hope this one is actually on best of because I know it's in my phone, but I, I, I also have the album that it's on. But the end of the world as we know it is one of my all time favorites. Yeah. Um, and, and apropos for being on a desert island until the exactly. end. Exactly. Perfect for the situation. Perfect for showing us, you know what? The sun's going to come up. Things are going to still be fine. I still feel fine. I feel like that's like almost my motto for life is like, it's going to be okay. The world is crashing around you, but it will be okay. One step in front of the other, it'll be fine. So that one seemed perfect. So I had to do that one. Yeah. Good. Okay. The, the next two were really hard, but I ultimately landed on Christmas music because I love Christmas music. And when I think about dancing around the family room growing up, it was always to Christmas music during Christmas season. Yeah. I was like, well, if I'm going to be celebrating Christmas on this desert island, I will be devastated if I don't have my Christmas music to listen to. Very good. Very good. Now, now are there Christmas albums in particular? Um, yes, I'm a child of the 80s. And so I had to go with Mannheim Steamroller. I mean, <laughs> I could choose like specific albums. I could just say all of them. They just like make me warm and cozy because I grew up listening to that music. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Anything else? Any other specifics? So I felt like I might get tired of those two options. And so I went with like a classical as my third choice. Okay. Maybe a Vivaldi, maybe a Bach. I really like the Four Seasons. That again brings me to my happy place. I've swam to music by both of those composers and many uh, other classical right. ones. So it like it brings back positive memories for me. And it's like when I don't want to listen to the world falling apart music, I can just kind <laughs> of chill and listen to something that like I don't know. Maybe I feel a little smarter listening to. Maybe it's just like again brings me back to a happy place. <laughs> Very nice. Excellent. Well, well, fine choices, I must say, Jenny. And of course, this has just been a, a great conversation. Just love, love the backstory uh, that, uh, that I have to say you're pretty modest about, right? Doesn't come out very often. So, uh, so I'm glad yeah. Well, you're, thank you for asking. I mean, it's such, it's, it's so funny because you're right. It was such an important and like instrumental. That was the only thing I did. I felt like with my life for so long. And, and it's funny that I don't talk more about it or I don't, I don't know, it, like I said, I am so passionate about how it has helped me and how it has shaped who I am that I almost forget like how involved I was. And yeah, like that's really what I, all I thought and all I, all I did for so long. <laughs> well, uh, it's definitely served you well. It, it certainly seems to be the case to me. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your story, Jenny. It's great to catch up and rock and roll. Thank you. <laughs>